Welcome back to Smiling in Hell 2.0, Life After Retirement and Then Some. This is Chapter 13, Hitler on the Roof. Yeah, I just noticed how cheesy that music is. Uh, it, the, the music itself is actually wonderful, a piece of music by uh, the Bach, uh, Toccata, and Fugue in D minor. But um, when you play it through your phone onto a, a laptop uh, microphone, it is uh, the epitome of uh, fromage. So I apologize for that, uh, but bear with me. This is a low-budget um, production. So uh, anyway, these are the recordings of blogs that I wrote uh, some time ago. And uh, as, I, as I start this one, <clears throat> we were getting ready to celebrate Labor Day about a year ago. And, and, of course, the Labor Day holiday, recognizing the American worker. And so with that, I thought it was appropriate to wax nostalgic and remember one of the hardest working people I ever had the pleasure and blessing of having as a part of my life, my mom's mom, my grandmother, great-grandma Jay, to my daughter. Um, and so this chapter 13 is called Hitler on the Roof. Now, that's kind of a catchy title, huh? Edgy, pithy intriguing, uh, politically questionable, uh, somewhat erudite, especially when the air is right. But if you know me and if you don't, then what the heck are you doing here? Anyway, you know, it's certainly not intended to offend you. Oh, wayward reader, just because you may have stumbled onto this woodsy path of wordosity. Rather, it, it is designed to attract, to engage, to hook, and, and possibly even reel uh, you hapless reader in with some seriously wacky wordplay. Well, did it? I guess if you got this far, then it's done its job, especially if you don't have a single hap to your name, or even half a hap. You're hapless. Anyway, so as you know, I often like to frequent the shadowy alleys of my mind where fuzzy but warm memories hang out. And not unlike an Edward Hopper painting or a Dennis Hopper head trip, I'm regularly, uh, due to the raisin brand, found sitting in a dark but well-lit neon shining diner with other poor unfortunate souls who are living in the last verse of One More for the Road, wishing there were still automats as they swill chock full of knots. Ah, that heavenly coffee. Better coffee a millionaire's money can buy. And being served the finest, rarest combination of vitriol and sympathy, only a really authentic greasy spoon diner matron worn rough with verdigris over the years could dish out. Think uh, Love Child of B. Arthur, only with good writers, and Roseanne when she was still funny. Toss in a little Don Rickles, uh, but keep it clean, uh, albeit with a double, triple, hell, even quadruple entendre, and you get the idea. Yep, warmth and love served with a side order of barbed wire. Which brings me to my grandmother. Yep, me mother is mother. My only child's great-grandma and a woman who loomed as large in my life when I was just a young pup growing up in the sidewalk suburbs of Cleveland as the underdog float in the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. But with more love. Those were the days, the early days in the late 50s, when I was often taken to my grandma's house on West 12th, and she'd ply me with Welch's grape juice, white bread sandwiches with grape jelly, and fresh blue grapes we'd pick off the vines in the neighborhood. Those were great, I mean, great, great times. Now, keep in mind, I have no idea if these memories are accurate or not, if they are actually my memories. 
I may actually be thinking of an old Andy Hardy movie or a Happy Days episode, but bear with me. I mean, I was like three or four years old. My brain was still deciding if it wanted to grow up to be a blue-eyed samovar full of great thoughts or a bowl of tapioca pudding. Personally, I probably would have preferred the pudding. I mean, I loved tapioca pudding. But Grams took great care of me. Oh, yes, she did. And my older brother was usually around somewhere looking for trouble, trying to flick me on the ear or give me an Indian rope burn for no reason. I guess that would be an indigenous people's rope burn now. But anyway, a quick side note to my younger, i.e. under 40-year-old readers, if you're still with me, uh, you'll probably notice that I often reach into an obscure foreign vernacular known as old slang. For example, I've referenced names like B. Arthur, who played on Golden Girls and over the years usually played quite a jaundiced, sarcastic character. And Don Rickles, who was the master of the insult put down for decades. Yeah, yeah, just YouTube Johnny Carson, Don Rickles for a good example. Um, now, Don Rickles could never get away with what he did back then nowadays. He'd be sued every 20 minutes. Oh, and Indian Ropern just... Ask around. I'm sure someone can explain or demonstrate, with no offense, again, meant to our Native American brethren. A little history, though. Grandma, uh, Great-Grandma Jay spent most of her young life in the small town of Grass Flat, Pennsylvania, where my, my mom's dad was a coal miner. And Grams had her hands full, bringing up five, yeah, count them, five kids. And after moving to, moving to Cleveland, she lost her husband the same year I was born. Interesting note, some years later, and after a myriad of research and correspondence with doctors, my mom's brothers and sisters were able to determine and prove that Grandpa Jay was actually a victim of coal miner's disease called brown lung. And that led to a nice, reasonable settlement with the government. Of course, considering the time and economy, it was probably about $1.38. Anyway, after losing her husband, times were tough, but she was blessed with very specific skills. No, not like Liam Neeson, but more like a Merlin-like mystical culinary magic. In other words, hoo-ha, buddy, could that lady cook? So she worked for years in the kitchen at a big hospital in Cleveland that had been around since the Civil War. And eventually she worked in a boarding school for young girls. Okay, I guess in those days we'd maybe call it that juvie or correctional institute, maybe even a reform school, if you're old enough to remember Leo Gorsi, Hunsall, and the Bowery Boys. And that really goes back. But I remember when I was in grade school, my folks would drive out to the boarding school where, along with preparing meals for the school, she was also charged with teaching the girls how to cook. We'd go there to pick up grams after she got off work, and we'd pull in the middle of the in a lot in the middle of the campus of brick buildings and with my little face pressed against the back window trying to see everything I could, I could watch as a small cadre of quote, her girls would walk her safely and caringly to the car. I never quite understood it, but when they would see me, they'd say, oh, he is so cute. And oh, boy, look at those bedroom eyes. Of course, back then, being the savvy savant youth that I was, I thought that bedroom eyes meant I could find my way to and from the bathroom in the dark. But Grams would just chuckle and poo-pooed their young lascivious playing with the little young man. It was obvious even to little old naive me that even though they intimidated me, 
these girls thought the world of her. And the lucky guys who eventually ended up enjoying the cooking of one of these energetic protégés of my grams as their partner uh, would get a great big yum. And then there were those heavenly days when she would decide to cook good old-fashioned homemade Slovak pierogi with me and my mom at our house. A day full of classic culinary preparation would take place as we were all still in the old country and, and first resulted in the creation of enough square feet of one quarter inch dough sheets to wallpaper the living room, then came cutting the dough into hundreds of small, perfectly symmetrical tire triangles, delicious little origamis, origami? Following uh, came putting carefully siphoned informal drops of feathery mashed potatoes, gently cooked cabbage, and subtly sweet prune filling on the little patches of dough. Finally, no matter how many times she had demonstrated the art, she would once again have to take my little hands in hers and gently guide them to demonstrate how to deftly but surgically fold them into little soon-to-be-delicious life jackets. Then came the boiling, the draining, and the artery clogging, saturating with butter. I'm still trying to work off that butter. And we wondered why I had frequent shopper card for the husky section at Sears. Uh, they were worth every calorie, though. I still wonder about the sights she must have seen in her 104 years from air travel to a man on the moon and more. One of the greatest, neatest memories I have was one day. I'm riding in the car together with my folks. I was reading a car in the uh, reading a car, reading a book in the car, as was my usual habit in those days. And Grams asked me what the book was, or as she would uh, have said, "What is the book you are reading?" As it happened, being a typical starry-eyed grade school boy in the early 1960s or so, I was reading a biography of William Buffalo Bill Cody. When I told my grandma the subject, she just casually tossed off, oh, I saw him in his show when I was a little girl. I was amazed. My grandma, or at least her memory aloud, had actually seen the legendary Buffalo Bill in real life. When I asked what she remembered, she conjured up images of stagecoaches, Indians, buffalo, horses, and the best description, albeit cryptic, of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show that I guess must have traveled close enough to her home for her to see. Now, this may not seem all that interesting to most folks, especially kids these days who would rather see it in CG, but I actually think I peed a little when she shared that memory with me. Yeah, in most families, there's always someone in the crowd who has a special way to turn a phrase. Now, Graham's ability was more of a way to twist curve, bend, and crack a phrase. We in the family still affectionately refer to these as grandmaisms. And even today, long after she's gone, we still recall with love uh, the following examples, like when making a plan. Rather than say, we'll play it by ear, Grams would say, oh, we'll play it by heart. Or if she was sharing a bite of her food and trying to get it off her fork and onto your plate, she would say, here, step on this. <laughs> of course, we always got excited when she would jingle her little coin purse and say, come on, we're going to the Dairy Queen for a comb of ice cream. Comb. Ah, where is she? There was a time she was reading the paper and read aloud, oh, 
my goodness, Dorothy Kilgallen, a famous game show uh, panelist and journalist of the time. Dorothy Kilgallen is a communist. Of course, when we asked to see the article, she had misread the byline, which actually read Dorothy Kilgallen, columnist. And finally, the classic and my personal favorite. While talking about movies we'd seen recently, Grams was saying how much she enjoyed one. Couldn't remember the title. She said, oh, you know, she'd say, the one with the music and the Jews, and they were singing and dancing. Oh, oh I remember. Uh, Hitler on the roof. Hitler on the roof. You, you, you just can't write that kind of stuff. So with that, I'll close with sweet memories of a sweet, tough, young strong, incredibly loving, and amazingly loyal, lifelong Cleveland Indians fan, who after living through two world wars, a great depression, the loss of a husband, she never remarried, and after raising five children, survived breast cancer, and a double mastectomy while in her late 80s, to see the accumulation of more grandkids, great-grandkids, and great-great-grandkids than I can count, and lived to be 104. Yeah, I inherited half the work ethic. If I inherited half the work ethic, strength, faith, and love that she had, I'll be a pretty good person. So that's uh, Smiling in Hell. Thank you again for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on Smiling in Hell 2.0, Life After Retirement, and then some.